Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Glenn Carlson, co-founder and managing director of Key Person of Influence. wonderful to have you along today and I'm really looking forward to bringing this conversation with Glenn Carlson to you who I caught up with at his hotel as he was in Brisbane running some events for the Key Person of Influence or KPI program. Before I introduce Glenn to you let me briefly introduce myself for those people who are new to the Aratate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. We also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy solutions for senior executives and non-executive directors who are actively looking for a new role. So if we can be of any assistance to you, I'd welcome the opportunity to have a conversation with you and see how we can help. Now, let me introduce to you, Glenn Carson. Glenn Carlson is an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Key Person of Influence program, acknowledged by Inc.com as one of the top personal branding conferences in the world. Featured in the international media as a small business expert, in less than four years, Glenn has built his own business into the ninth fastest growing company in Australia, according to Smart Company. He is best known for helping fellow entrepreneurs develop an unfair advantage in their industry and believes that it has never been a better time to build a global business and personal brand doing something you love. What's fascinating about Glenn is that he spent the majority of his younger years traveling the world on a yacht with his parents before coming back, completing high school, heading to the UK and now living back here in Sydney, Australia. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Glenn Carlson. Okay, so uh, Glenn, welcome to the Arate podcast. Uh, very early here uh, on a rainy morning in Brisbane and uh, you're up from um, Sydney, is that right? Yeah. Okay, great. What's brought you to town? Uh, mate, so we've just run a uh, one-day brand accelerator conference. So it's part of our business model. We bring in a lot of our... Um, enterprise faculty as well of an audience of a couple of hundred business owners, corporate leaders, we bring in a lot of case studies. And it's a process where we step people experientially mm-hmm. through what has become known as the key person of influence mm-hmm. methodology. Okay. Um, so there's speakers that have built very successful business and businesses and global brands, walking through concepts around pitching, um, publishing content, uh, how individuals need to fit into a product ecosystem, a personal brand and profiling and influence, and also strategic partnerships. It's a way of being able to be very good at what you do while still attracting a lot of inbound opportunity, mm-hmm. e- even if direct sales or marketing isn't your particular focus. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk uh, a lot more about a KPI a little bit yeah, later sure. on. But I Mate, you asked. <laughs> <laughs> but I think just to, uh, to set the sort of scene... Um, uh, just briefly tell us uh, what's the the KPI mandate? You know, what are you guys uh, achieving for the people who are participating? Um, well, I guess in, in terms of a mandate, our, our objective in terms of a company is to become the most uh, valuable business and personal brand accelerator in the world. So mm-hmm. we specialize in working with non-tech mm-hmm. businesses. So if you're a technology company, you can go to Silicon Valley. Sure. Um, but if you're uh, an individual, either in an organization, a small business owner, influence is key. Yeah. So the, the thing that we've found is that you can have small business owners, that are really, really struggling to get traction and to get cut through in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've also found is you can have corporate leaders running teams that are having a lot of struggle and cut through mm-hmm. getting their ideas to have traction either internally or externally. Uh, and so what we found is that the real deciding factor, and we've worked with thousands of people you know, across four countries now, 
the deciding factor is not the model. It's about the influence. Mm-hmm. Right? It's about the ability to have an effect in the world. And so we've brought together all of the components and, and the pathway and the resources that individuals and business owners need to be able to build out that influence, um, to be able to build their brand, raise their profile, mm-hmm. have an impact in their industry. And so um, our mandate as we operate, uh, where we only work with a, a thousand individuals, um, sorry, a hundred individuals per year per city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my job uh, as the, I, I guess, the global director, along with my business partner, Daniel, is to continue to open new cities and to mm-hmm. continue to build depth mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the product and products and the services and the support mm-hmm. uh, that we offer our clients. So we're in, um, we're in seven cities around four countries, so the UK, USA, Singapore, and Australia. We've got over 44 team now in 12 mm-hmm. time zones, so we've kind of mastered the art of having a, a non-centralized uh, organization, and uh, so we're in the middle of a, a pretty major growth curve. Okay, great. Well, we'll uh, talk a lot more about KPI a little later on, and uh, obviously one of the reasons we're talking today is that I did the program a couple of years ago, and certainly... Uh, it's been tremendously beneficial to me in terms of my business and the kind of things that uh, I'm doing both for Arate Executive and for some organisations that I'm working with, and uh, so which is why I'm such a strong advocate and we're talking today. But let's go back to uh, you know where it all began and talk to us about where you were born and mum and dad and, and how you grew up, etc. Yeah, sure. So I was born in New South Wales, a little town called Nowra. Um, my dad was a shipwright in the Navy, so he joined the Navy when he was 15 okay. uh, as an apprentice boat builder. Right. And uh, my mum was a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. Uh, they met, had me, and this is actually a, a pretty interesting story. Well, I think so anyway. It gets you thinking. Um, when I was probably about three, uh, so dad must have been you know, in his uh, early 30s. He's probably about my age now, actually. Um, he had that sense of frustration that something was missing. So mm-hmm. he went to he'd mama's he'd mama's part he'd mama's passed away. So he went to my mum's mum, my nana and her name was Ivy and his name was Ron and uh said, Something's missing. It's not my family, love love Gloria, my mum and love Glenn, me and all that's good, but something's still missing. And uh and Nana looked at him and said if in many, many years from now you'd be on your deathbed looking back mm-hmm. And there was to be one major regret, what would it be? And quick as a flash, uh, she has since recounted to me, he said, uh, sail around the world. Right. And she just looked at him and said, well, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And that forced a reflective moment onto my dad, at which point he realized, uh, and he's not the kind of guy to shy away from an adventure. so he pitched the idea to mum and uh, I've been told by both uh, my parents and Nana that I was given the choice as well. Do I want to stay in Australia with Nana or do right. I want to go on this sailing adventure and I okay. picked a sailor. I even I even stayed with my Nana for a couple of weeks to t- test what would that be like. Right, okay. Um, so how old I don't remember any of this. I must have been three or four. Okay. Because um, then dad started building the boat within a couple of years, retired from the Navy after his 25 years of service right. and uh, we sailed around the world for seven years. Okay. So 46 countries, seven years later, all the cultures you could imagine. Sure. Um, I came back to high school right. uh, when I was about 14. Right, and um, I've always wondered, because I've met people who've done that, what, what do you do for income along the way? Did he have to live off his savings or did well, he have different yeah, things? Well, so, yeah, so Dad retired on a full full pension okay. um, from the Navy, and, and that was it. Right. Um, you know, they bought a house which didn't do anything for them while sure. we were away. Yeah. Uh, and you know, when you we're not we're not sailing in luxury. We had a you know forty foot boat that Dad built from the from yeah. the hull up. Right. You know, so there's not much he couldn't fix or do. So right. he never had to hire someone to come in and fix something. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, there's the ocean, which is mm-hmm. obviously you know plentiful and a lot of the places where we were are completely away from the kind of developed world or the Mm -hmm. expensive cities i mean i live in bondi beach now you you couldn't get more right kind of expensive in terms of a cost of living certainly in australia whereas you know when you're in the middle of the pacific on an island Mm -hmm. you know you can you can you know swap all sorts of things fishing bits of fishing line and rope and bungee bungee cords for like feasts of food okay um so it's uh it's actually not 
anywhere near as expensive as mm. one might imagine to, okay. to sail the planet if that's the lifestyle you want to choose. So you kind of kicked off when you were about five? Six, yeah. Six and got back when you were... Fourteen. All right, okay. Yeah, it's a different way to grow up. Sure. Certainly a lot of lifestyle and adventure, right. yeah. um, but also a lot of isolation and, and loneliness and disconnection okay. as well. And what about, uh, you know, your equivalent of doing your primary schooling? Did they have a, yeah. a, a program that they took you through? Yeah, or? so Australia's uh, pretty famous, actually, well, it was back then. Um, I'm not across it now for, for something called distance education. It was designed for all the kids on farms that were like okay. eight hours yeah. away from their nearest neighbour. Mm-hmm. Um, so the school of the air and distance education mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So we were one of their first um, cases of actually a movable or right. a moving international exercise. So, right. you know, we'd tell them, we'd send them a letter saying, you know, in two months' time, we're going to be in Cairo, Egypt. Yep. Please send it to the harbour master at this right. port, you know, attention Yarandu 2, which okay. was the name of our boat. Yep. Um, it's Aboriginal for Southern Cross, and uh, away we'd go. So I actually. It's interesting how much padding is in the school system. Uh, I came back a year ahead okay. um, because I could uh, very easily knock out a week's worth of curriculum right. in a day right. without the breaks and sure, all the, yeah, yeah. you know. And, and what do you think were some of the uh, lessons that you learned that you've applied later in your life from having that experience? Um, I... I don't know about I don't know about lessons because I was kind of a bit young, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of walk away with any quotable kind of lessons. But I, I think it's more of this this sense or this ba- base plate in the back of my mind that the world is a very small place, okay, um, and that people are inherently good. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of good versus evil in the world at the sure. moment. Um, Sort of, sort of like East versus West, and yeah. a lot of stuff focused around the Middle East. Mm-hmm. I mean, we sailed through the Red Sea, mm-hmm. um, through Yemen and Oman, Saudi Arabia, the Sudan, Egypt, and met some of the most beautiful, generous, caring people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, one of the things I do remember is when the first Gulf War was breaking out and all of the American sort of propaganda was coming out about, you know, this evil empire rising up. I'd only experience these people as being right. lovely. Sure. And so that always stuck, stood with me. Right. To not believe the hype. I suppose yeah, right. if there's a lesson that's come out of it, the world is a very small place. Yep. Um, people are generally good mm-hmm. and to not believe the hype. Okay. Okay. So you came back uh, to Australia to do your high schooling. And whereabouts was that? Uh, up on the Sunshine Coast okay. in uh, in Queensland. Right. And yeah. so what about your parents? Uh, how did they go from living this nomadic lifestyle to having to be back and yeah, know, good question. get a day job? And good question. Yeah, not well. Right. Not well. Um, I mean, because they went from doing their own thing to suddenly having all these costs. They got a house. They had to send me to school. Yep. You know, suddenly the cost of living went through the roof. And so... Dad went back to fixing boats, okay. you know, working 16 hours a day with his head in a bilge, which you know wasn't right. fun. Mum yeah. really struggled. She tried to find work doing things like you know being a real estate agent okay. and all this stuff, and that's just not my mum. I right. mean, now my mum's a kinesiologist, right. you know, so you know trying to sell and do all that sort of stuff just wasn't great. It broke their relationship apart. A lot okay. of stress, a lot yeah. of tension. They weren't happy mm-hmm. for a lot of years. Um, when I was about 18, they split up, and for the best. Mum mm-hmm. found her passion. Okay. She moved back with her parents to look after them in their aging years. And uh, Dad now continues the adventure on a yacht. He's right. uh, based bouncing between sort of the Philippines and okay. Thailand and okay. sailing some of the most you know magical destinations in the world. And um, my friends and I will often pop over and right. spend a couple of weeks on the boat with him. And, uh, and yeah, so that was a big impact on me when I saw them really struggle. Mm-hmm. I made the decision, well, I wanted to know how to make money. Yeah. That was my big thing. Right. So I enrolled in university and I did all the stuff that, you know, kids do, I guess, when yeah. they're trying to work out how to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I promptly dropped out of university. I finished my top year, uh, my first year in the top 1% mm-hmm. of the class, so it kind of nailed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd also been running my own business, which is a marine detailing underwater search and rescue okay. kind of business, because yeah. that's what I knew from sure. my past, diving yeah, yeah. and cleaning yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I was, I was cleaning all of the luxury boats mm-hmm. around the Sunshine Coast and Noosa and down to Brisbane. And uh, there was not one thing I learned in my first year of a business degree that I could actually apply to my business. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I asked right. all those mentors, what should I do? Yeah. People whose boats I was cleaning and many of them didn't finish high school. Right. And they said, um, only learn from someone who's getting the results you want. Okay. 
and there just wasn't anyone at the university right. that had actually done it. Yeah. And so that kind of started my business journey. I got into sales, spent about a year in sales, just learning how to do that. And then uh, Dan and I uh, ended up starting Triumphant Events. Right. And that was in the UK. No, that was in Australia. Oh, in Australia. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, so Triumphant Events, we were essentially a promoting company. We promoted yeah. authors and speakers, and, mm-hmm. and we got very, very good at positioning them in their industry. Okay. Um, and we, were, we, we grew to about $10 million in revenue in our, in our third year, so we were about 24, okay. 24, 25. Um, running about 150 events a year, mm-hmm. promoting people. So we got very, very good at, at working out uh, how to capture the attention of the market and get them to focus on an individual and their products and services and what they stood for and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, very, very quickly was able to work out kind of what worked and mm-hmm. what didn't mm-hmm. in that area. So we grew around Australia and then we expanded over to the UK. Right, and, uh, and that meant that you actually moved to the UK at one point. Yeah, we um, we ended up moving the entire leadership team to the UK. Right. Uh, to be fair, um, I'd like to say it was a very strategic business decision. Sure. But fundamentally, we're a bunch of kids that got bored with Australia. Right. Um, quite isolated. I've got this world as a small place in my head. Yeah. And we thought, you know, running in London, where right. the same marketable population of Australia is inside the N25, mm-hmm. um, plus it's right next door to Europe. It's a five-hour hop to New York. We're like, this is going to be amazing. Right. Uh, and it was. It was great. And um, so it still what- is. Who would be some examples of some of the uh, speakers that you worked with at the time? Yeah, right. so there's a guy called Mike Harris. Um, okay. So in the UK, Mike started three billion dollar businesses. Um, he started the world's first internet only bank. He started the world's first internet only credit, uh, yeah, online only credit card. Mm-hmm. Um, sold his first business, which was a telecommunications company, to T-Mobile for something like twelve billion dollars. I mean, you can't live on it, but, right? You know, it's a, <laughs> to start. Sure. Um, so he just launched his book. Uh, called Find Your Light Bulb, which okay. is all about how to find your big idea and to run with it. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, he wanted to promote that book, and so he contacted us, and we rolled out a right. national campaign with him. And so, you know, people like that, mm-hmm. um, authors, speakers, people that have done great things yep. in the world, okay. um, that wanted more people to know about it. That was kind of our shtick. That's really what we what we focused on, but. As we were doing that, and, and you know, we got pretty good at putting thousands of people in some of these rooms, we'd obviously get a lot of people coming to us saying, God, I'm great at what I do. Yeah. Like, how do I get that same kind of attention? Like, sure. Will you promote me? Mm-hmm. And what really started to resonate, especially as technology and the internet started to shift the dynamic of what was required to start a business, the mm-hmm. barriers to entry dropped, all that sort of stuff. So we, we were having more and more really talented, like incredible people, gifted people, coming to us saying, well, would you promote me because of you know the work I do right. and the help that I yeah. you know, give my clients and the results they get. Mm-hmm. They had all that. Um, and yet there's no way we could promote them. Um, we even tried with some and just couldn't pull a crowd, right. despite our marketing muscles. So because they didn't have the personal brand. Well, there was something that was missing. Okay. Right? We didn't know what it was at the right. time. We're just like, what is it that mm-hmm. makes it really easy to promote this person, but mm-hmm. really hard to promote this person, considering that this person's also amazing at what they do? And when we deconstructed it, that's what you know Dan wrote the book about, Become mm-hmm. a Key Person of Influence, sure. was these five things. Right. It's really interesting, Adrian, Will, um, because I see the same thing in my work, where I'll be working with uh, incumbent or aspiring CEOs, and I think, why does that CEO land a million dollar salary? And this other CEO, who's equally competent, has a very similar background and qualifications, you know, might struggle to get 250K. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, And you can't put it down to, well, the million dollar person is just a better negotiator. Um, They've done something in terms of building this persona, this uh, personal brand that's enabled that. Well, we thought there was no rhyme or reason to it as well. And then we discovered that there actually was some serious rhyme and some serious reason. Sure. uh, so the, the original premise is that being good at what you do isn't enough, mm-hmm. right? So the hypothesis is then what, yeah. right? So we deconstructed what we were doing. We deconstructed the success of the people that we'd promoted versus the struggle of the people that we'd promoted. Mm-hmm. And there were five things, mm-hmm. right? Being good at what you do, step one, but you've also got to have a really compelling message. So a pitch that is not only able to communicate your value, but a narrative around that that engages the market in a meaningful way. So mm-hmm. it relates to them meaningfully. Uh, the second is credibility in their industry, right? They need to show up as a credible influencer. 
um, uh, publishing is a powerful way to be able to do that. Right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the people that we promoted that were successful, uh, people like the Mike Harris's of the world, you know, they produced books and they sure. had content, collateral, yeah. all this sort of stuff. Um, for us to make a sustainable business, they needed to have productized what they do, mm-hmm. right? Or they needed to understand how they fit inside a product ecosystem. So Bernard Salt is brilliant. Right. Um, you know, partner at KPMG. Yes. Obviously a powerful personal brand, published, thought leader in his space, powerful message, mm-hmm. but he's very clear on how he, as a product and his speaking gigs and his books, also generates business. Mm-hmm. For KPMG, sure, right. So he understands how he fits into the product ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, a strong personal brand was the next one, and and really this can be measured by Google. Mm-hmm. Right? You are who Google says you are, um, and your reputation will show up. Even if you're not putting it online, others will be mm-hmm. if it's a strong enough reputation. So, very much when it comes to profile, we say you are who Google says you are, mm-hmm. um, and then finally, alliances, joint ventures, and strategic partnerships. Mm-hmm. Right, so I, th- I can't remember. I think it was Jim Rohns or Jim Collins or someone like that said, "You are the five people you associate with." Yes. Right. We've tweaked that to right. "You are the five brands right. you associate with." Sure. Right. So when okay. it comes to joint ventures and partnerships, mm-hmm. now if you're associated with as an individual mm-hmm. with strong blue chip brands or organisations or what what have you, um, that has a transference effect where their trust, their reputation, their influence gets transferred to you. Mm-hmm. So. You can take this person that's great at the CEO that you're talking about, great at what they do, 250 grand, but can't seem to negotiate as great a negotiate as they are mm-hmm. up to that million mark. Mm-hmm. But you give them a powerful message with a book or published content, understanding how they fit into the product ecosystem for the organization, mm-hmm. a strong personal brand that has history, legacy, and consistency, and, and strategic alliances that go beyond the organization that they're pitching to work for. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, this person is showing up as more than a candidate. Sure. You know, they're showing up as a force of freaking nature. Absolutely. And there is a very different value proposition mm-hmm. when one has committed the time, energy, and resources to themselves and to their skill set to mm-hmm. actually build out this ecosystem mm-hmm. of influence. So you're at Triumphant Events. You're coming to this realization by looking at the, uh, the kind of people that you're working with that they essentially uh, need these five Ps in order to be a key yeah. person of influence. Um, you have a couple of years hiatus where you go and do a few interesting things before starting KPI. Just tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so after seven years running Triumphant Events uh, and expanding to the UK, I, I genuinely just got burnt out. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't loving the seminar yeah. and the, the event game. Um, it wasn't where I saw my future. Mm-hmm. And there's something about when you disconnect from your future, there's a, there's a disconnect in energy. I had a disconnect in energy. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed it in other people. We have chats about this. And if, if someone's not inspired about where they see their current trajectory going, it's an incredibly de-energizing sure. force. Yep. So I was incredibly de-energized for, for a good period of time there. Um, borderline probably depressed. Okay. I mean, I never got, I never went to doc about it, but I was, I, I became very introverted. I didn't want to go out. Like this was a, a real, a process of, of transformation and change mm-hmm. and interest, introspection uh, for me. And, and I ended up just really re- remembering where I was happiest. And if I thought back to my childhood, some of the happiest places were where I was in the tropics, I was yeah. around the ocean, you know, I didn't have the structure and the order and the, you know, the tube of London, mm-hmm. you know, and so I went and lived in Bali for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing recharge and it was amazing sort of sojourn outside of the status quo. I like a bit of an adventure, so I got the tick, tick, the live on a tropical island box. Right. I started a few businesses and little ventures there on the side, um, you know, around social media mm-hmm. and around some online businesses. Nothing major, but just kind of stretching my mind sure. into different into different areas. Um, but after about two years and, and a number of different ventures, there was something that I really worked out, which was um, I'm a, one of my strengths is communication. And being mm-hmm. in a country where I'm not a master at the language right. was massively restricting. Sure. And after a couple of years of like, you know, surfing and yoga and right. doing all those things, it started to bubble back to the surface that mm-hmm. I'm, I really feel I'm on this planet to, to do something meaningful. 
have a, make a bit of a dent. And what, what was Dan doing at the time? Uh, your business partner? Dan was back stayed stayed in London. Right. right? Dan loves London. Okay. Right? He's a he's a London boy through and through. I yeah. mean, he's an Australian. He's an sure. Aussie along with me. But he's he just found his home. And was he still there. running triumphant events or doing other things? It was still running triumphant events. Right. right? It was the same uh, sort of seminar model. Yeah. And the GFC hit. Right. And the whole thing got really hard. Right. Um. And uh, and it was during that kind of real crisis yep. that Dan was self-reflecting on what worked yep. in the past when we were promoting these speakers mm-hmm. and got this clarity around mm-hmm. these five principles. Okay. And so then he was bouncing that sort of first draft back with me because yep. Dan's always been the ideas guy. And I'm like, that's that's actually really clever. And mm-hmm. I've been looking at um, the technology incubators of like Silicon Valley, um, the Y Combinators, the 500 startups, and a lot of kind of corporates are now trying to build in like technology innovation mm-hmm. hubs inside of their yep. sort of system, which is great mm-hmm. if you've got a tech business or if you're tech minded, but that was never really Dan or my thing. Mm-hmm. But I loved the fact that there was a space that if you had a tech idea, there was a space you could go that provided all of the resources you'd need to turn it into a billion dollar baby. Sure, yeah. So I love that concept. And so Dan and I kind of put our heads together and we thought, well, what if we could take the incubator style model Mm -hmm. where you provide people with all the resources, all the mentoring, all the expertise to get something done? And Mm -hmm. we did that for leaders and for entrepreneurs, the service providers, the yeah. people where their value was their skill set, not a, not a tech mm-hmm. app. Because there's not a great deal out there. You know, you've got the kind of the rah-rah seminars out in the market or you've got the, you know, the, the leadership sort of training MBAs, programs sure. and the MBAs and all yeah. this sort of stuff which absolutely have their place. Mm-hmm. But there was just, and still isn't, anything mm-hmm. that specifically focuses on building out the ecosystem mm-hmm. that that becomes the platform for influence of an individual. Mm-hmm. It's more than a personal brand. It's understanding product market fit with you as a product and, mm-hmm. and your organization's products. So I suppose the first thing you did was apply the KPI principles in terms of to your own to business. To our own business. So yeah. I flew back from uh, from Bali to London. Yeah. Um, Dan and I rolled out the first few uh, programs that we ran so mm-hmm. we built a longitudinal program yeah we brought in sort of top level uh, entrepreneurs and leaders to be able to deliver the content so mm-hmm. Mike Harris the guy that we promoted became yeah. the pitching mentor okay. in the UK yeah, so people of this caliber that we would bring in to work with people on pitch their published content products and so on um, and sort of the first 30 to 50 people that went through in the UK I mean we couldn't have imagined the mm-hmm. results. Mm-hmm. You know, between three and ten x growth in twelve to eighteen months in terms of revenue. Um, people creating great products, getting you know millions of media uh, impressions and dollars worth of media attention. Being going from obscurity to being able to partner with some of the key brands in the industry and just fundamentally transforming the nature mm-hmm. of, of who they are and what they do and, and how they do it mm. simply by putting them through this structured process. So we knew we were onto something and then it just became our job to, to work out how to scale it and, okay. and replicate that, yep. which is why I came to Australia. So mm-hmm. I moved back to Australia about five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, launched the program with an Australian suite of speakers um, in Melbourne, uh, and so our first pitching mentor was Ian Elliott, who's mm-hmm. the past chairman and and CEO of George Patterson. Mm-hmm. So he built himself from sort of male boy sure. all the way through to CEO of that corporate organisation, and he is a consummate mm-hmm. key person of influence. Mm-hmm. He wrote the book Stop Pitching, Start Pitching, and he now sits on numerous boards around Australia. He is he's recognised as you know an a a pitching legend, but also a key influencer in the Australian community. He's on the board that chooses the Australian of the Year. And, you know, so it it really showed us this beautiful synergy between leaders in the corporate world Mm -hmm. and entrepreneurs in kind Mm. of the open market. Sure. And showed us that the principles of influence were agnostic, Mm -hmm. right? If if you were struggling in business or you're 250 grand a year CEO struggling, you know, to get the demand for the premium pricing in their industry, it's not the model. Mm. Because often you get a lot of frustrated leaders in corporate 
going out and starting their own business now. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a big trend because there are no barriers to entry. Sure. And they get chewed up and spit out. Yeah. We see it all the time. Mm-hmm. People think that their skill set in corporate is going to apply um, in business, and mm-hmm. it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't. Sure. What works is the same thing that works in business. Yeah. It's, it's building out this platform of influence. Mm-hmm. And we find that the moment an organization recognizes that for the next sort of five to 15 years, one of its greatest liabilities is being faceless, mm-hmm. is hiding behind you know, the brand that it's built. And it, it makes sense to do that because you know, it's, it's a str- they're often a strong brand, it's mm-hmm. a blue chip brand, it's a recognized brand. Um, but we're moving to a, to a model where with the internet and the ability for humans to connect with humans anywhere in the world, it's those personal brands. Mm-hmm that are making the uh, the real difference. And so we're on a bit of a crusade to be able to help organizations switch from a faceless organization mm-hmm. to really putting the brands, the reputations, um, the skills and the experiences of their leaders uh, at the forefront in the market because that's where the opportunity happens. Sure. That's where the rubber hits the road. It's a, it's a people game. People mm-hmm. don't do business with businesses. Mm-hmm. They do business with the people in those businesses. Yeah, and I, I suppose from my perspective uh, to uh, talk around a few of those points, you certainly see people who are working in corporate and either through their own volition or through redundancy uh, get thrust out and decide to become a consultant to their space. Um, and some of those people go on to make a success, but the vast majority don't. don't. And then they are clawing to create an opportunity to get back into a paid employment situation because they simply don't recognise that as a consultant, their personal brand and their ability to be perceived as a thought leader, as a go-to person in their industry, is critical to them being successful. Absolutely. In, um, in Within a corporate environment, often you'll see in organisations they promote people based on their technical competency into leadership roles, into client-facing strategic business development roles, but these people have not invested and probably don't really have a natural desire to, uh, to be the face of an organisation. Yes. And so as a result, organisations are really not fulfilling their full potential by uh, uh, enabling their people to have the tools to support them to be as successful as they possibly can. So the same reason that we get, um, you know, organisations like KPMG wanting us to work with their leaders is often you'll get, certainly at that kind of partner level and up, people that are, are very, 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 very good at what they do, like yeah. highly, highly skilled, solving major complex problems, and in a very small sphere, these people are influencers. Sure, but. The frustration of the organization at whole is that they recognize this individual's value, mm-hmm. but in terms of actual sales, new money in the door, attracting new business, they're not attracting the volume that they could be. Yeah. Now, these people aren't necessarily salespeople. Like sure. you said, they're technical people that are mm-hmm. very, very good at solving problems. And if you try to put pressure on them saying, you've got to go out and hunt and chase and close more deals, it starts to break that sort of delicate balance in terms of what these people are very good at mm-hmm. and also what is rewarding for them. Mm-hmm. And the trick with influence is true influence doesn't require the hunt, it doesn't require the chase. It's in the development of quality content and quality ideas that attracts that opportunity. So Mm -hmm. we can go back to a Bernard Salt, right? Um, The guy doesn't have to chase a hell of a lot of opportunity because of the quality of the content, the talks, the books, the commentary Mm -hmm. in the, you know, in the papers and the magazines goes at scale sharing his ideas and Mm -hmm. his insights in that very specific vein of you know demographics and demography and trends and all that sort of stuff and all of a sudden all that opportunity starts showing up which mm-hmm. he can then pass straight through to his organization kpmg without mm-hmm. him having to go out and be the salesperson sure. and so what we are doing with leaders in these organizations is we're allowing them to stay focused on doing what they do while helping them build the ecosystem that allows them to continue to, or to attract more and higher quality opportunity mm-hmm. 
without them taking their eye off the ball. Yeah, and I mean, it's not just about selling, it's also about being an employer of choice. Uh, if Correct. You're, uh, if you're wanting to attract the very best talent to come and work for you, the leader needs to have a brand as being somebody that people would actually value as an employer and as a mentor. Um, and I think that that's often overlooked as well. Certainly from our point of view, when we're trying to recruit for organisations and we are pitching the opportunity to candidates, they want to know, well, who am I going to work for and, and what am I going to learn from them and how can I uh, uh, be developed to my fullest potential? And mm. that's a big part about being a key person of influence as well, isn't it? Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting what people, humans, want. Mm-hmm. Right? We want safety and security, but we also want freedom and variety. Mm-hmm. Right? And the traditional corporate environment provides a lot of that safety and security, right? There's a regular there's a regular paycheck, there's an entire team and an ecosystem and a support system around the individual and all that kind of stuff is great. But in the past, organizations have often been very, certainly the big ones have often been very bad at providing the freedom and the autonomy, mm-hmm. right? They can shower them in gifts and, and, you know, high incomes and cars and all this sort of stuff. But often there's this part of the, the human the individual that is yearning for that freedom of self-expression, which mm-hmm. is again one of the reasons why we're seeing people leaving that corporate world and going, I'm just going to go do my own thing, mm-hmm. so I can kind of, you know, that be my own boss feeling mm. of the freedom and the variety. Now, what we find is that when an organisation supports an individual to be able to build their brand, to have a strong profile and a reputation and the creativity inside that, it provides the best of both worlds inside the organization. They become an influencer, they get more done, they become more productive, they attract more opportunity, Mm -hmm. but also they're very, very happy where they are. Mm -hmm. No longer do they have that need to want to go out and start their own thing, Mm -hmm. which is probably something they absolutely shouldn't be doing based on where their skills lie. And so it's about an organization creating an environment that dictates the performance of their individuals. Mm -hmm. A great analogy, well, at least I like it, is if if you imagine sort of 20 years ago, if you went to a fire, a three hat restaurant, right? It's highly unlikely you would see the chef, Mm. right? The chef is, you know, behind closed doors, back in the kitchen, doing amazing work, cooking Mm -hmm. some of the best food that you could get anywhere in the world. It gets pushed through a little hole, a bell gets rung, and someone else comes and drops it on Mm -hmm. your table and you eat it, right? We've seen a shift where some of the best chefs in the world have very much built their kitchen in the middle of the restaurant. It's open plan. You know, you can see the chef doing their work, like the Jamie Olivers Mm -hmm. of the world is is a great analogy, Mm -hmm. is that they've very much put the process and they've very much put um, the product, which is the food in this case, into the spotlight. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we're working with organizations to be able to do is to be able to get their chefs, these people inside their organization that are hidden in the bowels of the beast out, Mm -hmm. like into the arena where people can, can see, smell, touch, and taste the work that they're doing. And the beauty of like the analogy, the beauty of someone like Jamie Oliver is that he doesn't show up as a shameless self promoter Mm -hmm. because it's not about him. Sure. It's about the food. Yeah. It's about good, clean, food and, and now his, his mission in terms of charity and contribution is mm-hmm. for kids at schools. Mm-hmm. And so when we work with individuals to be able to build their brand, the most important thing we need them to recognize is a powerful personal brand is ironically not about the individual. Mm-hmm. It's about the work, it's about the message, it's about the product and it's about the organization, mm-hmm. right? And I think the chef's a good analogy too because most chefs historically would not have wanted to be in the limelight. They would have um, preferred to be hidden behind the wall in the kitchen. Uh, but when they start to get some uh, exposure to, there's actually a way to build your brand in a meaningful yet f- methodol- uh, methodical way. Without being a shameless self-promoter, yeah. right? So- the fear that people have that mm. stops this step from you know hidden behind closed doors mm-hmm. to actually being more visible mm. um, is is consistently we find this fear of having to be the shameless self promoter yeah and the moment it becomes about the content and the message um, and the work mm-hmm. right and bringing focus to that not about the individual you sidestep that entire stream mm-hmm. of of that red herring I suppose. Um, and what we find is that it actually becomes a very, very meaningful, valuable, um, and, and, and developing 
experience Absolutely. for the individual. And by walking them through a very specific methodology, it enables them to actually release a lot of the fear because they're not having to invent it for themselves. Correct. Um, and certainly, you know, you see, uh, particularly in professional services organisations, this idea of being a finder, a minder or a grinder. And the majority of partner level uh, people um, are very comfortable being minders. Um, but it's this idea of, oh, I don't really want to be a finder because that's not where I naturally go to. Um, the, the beauty of this process is that they have some early realisations that it's not about reinventing your entire personality, it's just about doing some simple things consistently well. That instead of you having to be the finder, it puts you in a position where you're more visible, mm -hmm. you're more valuable, and you're more connected, mm -hmm. so you're the one that's actually getting found. Right, yeah, absolutely. And so KPI, you know, certainly from my own experience, uh, initially was very orientated towards uh, uh, entrepreneurial business 100%. owners, and now uh, it's seeing the opportunity to really um, broaden its uh, availability to the corporate space. 100%. Yeah. So, so our DNA is entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. right? Our DNA is not corporate sure. leadership yep. land. It's not. Um, and it never will be, mm -hmm. right? Because it's not who we are. It's not who we will ever be. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we built this process by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And that is where the global recognition uh, and the success and the achievements and the expansion has come from. Mm -hmm. um, we stayed away from corporate in the early days because they were the opposite mm -hmm. of entrepreneurial. But over the last sort of five, six years, what we've seen is the perception of corporate, if mm -hmm. we can just put it under that umbrella, is starting to change where they're recognizing they need to become more entrepreneurial. They're decentralizing, they're outsourcing, you know, they're doing all the same things that small businesses are doing based on the technology that's available now to become more efficient, become more effective. They're going from, you know, hierarchical structures to flatter, more integrated structures, you know, to become more efficient. Um, and as a, as a result of that desire to become more entrepreneurial, what we're recognizing is that when we come across those leaders that are entrepreneurs at spirit mm -hmm. inside that organization, they're the same people that we love working with. Sure. And where we found we struggled is that when an organization doesn't give that entrepreneurial individual mm -hmm. in their organization the tools and the flexibility to actually bring that out, mm -hmm there's nothing we can do. Right. Right. So either that person leaves and yes. they go apply their value to either an organization that is going to allow them to foster that mm -hmm. or they start their own business. So we won't work with an individual um, from any corporate, mm -hmm. right? We need to know that that corporate sanctions or endorses or that brand or that business or whatever it is, sanctions and endorses that the idea that they become, you know, the Bernard Salt of their yes. of their of their industry, mm -hmm. like that they begin that journey. If there's any reticence of the organisation to support their top talent to build personal brands and to become more visible and valuable, we'll run the other way mm -hmm. because that person will leave, that organisation will struggle. But the moment an organisation's willing to do those things, the work we can do with their individuals is truly transformational mm -hmm. because they already have all this value. Right. It's not like it's not a learning process we have to take them through. They're already doing it. Mm -hmm. We just need to package it mm -hmm. in the right way sure. to help them kind of show up. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's uh, that everybody needs to aspire to be a Bernard Salt. I mean, Bernard Salt uh, uh, is an amazing uh, personal brand in his own right. But uh, regardless of you know where you sit within a leadership role within an organisation, within the context of what you do, it's important to realise its fullest potential for you and for your organisation. So maybe a better example. You're right, right? And it's like talking to someone about becoming a Richard Branson yeah. sort of thing in the same thing, right? So, you know, John Foreman is a data scientist for MailChimp. Okay. Right? So MailChimp, pretty popular technology sure. business. Um, he's a data scientist. I mean, the, the guy is an absolute geek mm -hmm. when it comes to, to analytics and to, to all that kind of deep dives data. So he wrote a book called Data Smart, using data science to transform information into insight. Mm -hmm. Now, two things have happened. Uh, the first thing that's happened is he has built a major following in that super vertical niche mm -hmm. of data science geeks, right? So anyone studying data science 
knows this John Foreman guy. Mm-hmm. Anyone that doesn't has never heard of him. Right. And never will. Sure. Right? But as they read this book or read his collateral, suddenly MailChimp by proxy becomes an employer of choice. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, MailChimp has now developed a channel through developing John mm-hmm. to be able to access the top talent in data science in the world. Right. right? So from a recruitment perspective, as you would well know, having an influencer inside an organization is going to attract more of the same mm-hmm. kind. Mm-hmm. So to be able to do that, that across divisions, mm-hmm. right? You could look at like a Jonathan Ives in Apple or something like that. You know, suddenly all the product engineers mm-hmm. aspire to Johnny Ives. Absolutely. Love Apple, want to be, sure. you know, and, and, and the cycle continues. Mm-hmm. Even when the jobs of the world yeah. move on, yeah. all of a sudden that loyalty stays mm-hmm. the same because it wasn't actually jobs that had all of the kudos. Mm-hmm. You know, the Ives of the world, the John Foremans of the world have that same level of influence. So yeah. it doesn't have to be the big, grand, world-beating mm-hmm. brand. No. It can be the, the, the brand that occupies a, a powerful position inside a micro-niche mm-hmm. that the people that count know yeah. who you are and what you do and uh, and at scale yeah. right so not just within potentially the Australian space but potentially the national space as well because you know your blogs and your books there is no geographical mm-hmm. limit mm. to the spread of those ideas and uh, it doesn't even need to be anything particularly sexy I mean uh, my friend Rachel Smith who went through KPI yeah. working for AECOM as an engineer wrote her book about decongestion, a bit of a hot topic, but certainly not a sexy topic, and has ended up traveling the world, talking to the mayors of the major cities, speaking at conferences, and uh, it's been an incredible adventure uh, for her, uh, and great branding for her organization to have developed a true thought leader within that space. And it's interesting, she wrote the book for mayors, and now mayors are actually contacting her saying, how do I get more cars off my streets? You know, how do we get more bike? infrastructure mm-hmm. set up to, to create that decongestion. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she had a great track record, but completely unknown. And, uh, no, you know, now double speaker at TEDx. That's and, right. You know, you know, incredible platforms mm-hmm. that she's been able to uh, express her influence and express her mm-hmm. message through. So coming back to you, you personally now, so uh, KPI is well and truly uh, embedded into Australia and uh, the programs are running yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, consistently uh, across Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. You know, what's next for you? Will you look out to the future? What are you excited about? So what I'm really excited about is I see that there's just a massive wave um, of opportunity, but also disruption mm-hmm. coming through the entire market. We've got, you know, baby boomers turning 70 for mm-hmm. the first time this year. Right. We're going to have a thousand baby boomers a day turning 70 for the next 15 years. Right. That's going to have incredible impact on capital markets, mm-hmm. on liquidity of those markets, like all sorts of interesting stuff. I'm seeing sh- major shifts in ownership. Uh, people that the old paradigm of you know we buy houses we buy holiday homes we buy music we yeah. buy cars we buy everything we want yeah. all of a sudden now I don't own a car yeah. I use Uber sure. for everything yeah. I don't own music I mm-hmm. stream music for everything mm-hmm. I have zero interest in buying a holiday home because I can go an Airbnb anywhere in the world so mm-hmm. there's this major shift around ownership mm-hmm. and this kind of sharing kind of economy. Um, I'm seeing these major shifts around technology and technology unemployment. Um, I mean, for the last 50 years, technology has been replacing blue collar work, but now we're seeing big data Mm -hmm. be able to make major inroads in bringing provide services that in the past, white collar lawyers, doctors, financial planners, accountants used to have to provide. Now cloud-based tools are offering those services at a fraction of the price at Mm -hmm. a fraction of the time. So. For the first time in history, we're actually seeing technology start taking a bite out of what white-collar, white-collar intellectual thought mm-hmm. leadership type people used to do. And, mm-hmm. and this is just going to start increasing over the next 5 to 15 years at, at l- quite literally logarithmic scale. Mm-hmm. Artificial intelligence, voice recognition, driverless cars. We, we live in such interesting times and I can't predict exactly what the future is going to hold but what I know is that we're going to have good times and we're going to have times of real struggle Mm -hmm. certainly industries are going to have good times and they're going to have times of real struggle and the thing I know 
it is that it is the key people of influence. It's the people that are the visible, the valuable, and the connected ones in their industry that are the ones that attract the new opportunities to stay ahead of the curve mm-hmm. faster. Mm-hmm. And we see not only individuals, but organizations as a whole need to adapt that kind of principle. And we see that essentially to ride this wave as a key person of influence, as a key organization, of influence there are three really key areas outside of core competency of the business that needs to be developed to essentially become the surfboard mm-hmm. first of all an individual or an organization needs to be perceived as a thought leader mm-hmm. right so it needs to produce collateral and content in that thought leadership space the second they need to see themselves as a media company right mm-hmm. actually taking that thought leadership exactly how you're doing it now mm-hmm. and broadcasting it to mm-hmm. an audience, whether mm-hmm. it be through video, through audio, or whatever other medium mm-hmm. print is appropriate. And finally, we see organizations that really need to be leveraging technology in mm-hmm. powerful ways, mm-hmm. right? Getting out of the manual approach and working about how do we leverage our thought leadership mm-hmm. using technology so we can scale, so we can become more efficient, so we can become more profitable. And so the idea of becoming a key person of influence is more than just uh, building a personal brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more than you know, um, just being known in a particular industry. It's also having developed an ecosystem that it's going to allow you to really be flexible and nimble enough to ride the wave of opportunity and uncertainty that is the next sort of mm-hmm. five to 15 years. So our entire organization is absolutely committed to being able to take individuals and organizations on that entire journey mm-hmm. through helping them develop their individuals and leaders as thought leaders to be able to build out the media element to be able to scale that leadership uh, but also to be able to supply some of the technology requirements to the individuals themselves so they can show up in in those meaningful ways and so we're just seeing that th- this is the most exciting time Mm. to be able to offer value. That's really interesting. I mean, just uh, to give some reflection on that, yesterday I went and interviewed for my podcast uh, in Gillespie, the CEO of the RACQ, and they actually have a full television studio uh, and recording studio set up in their office in the CBD now because they know that to control content uh, and make life easier for the media channels, they can uh, insource all of the production and uh, I mean, it's quite amazing to see what would be traditionally regarded as a pretty sort of historic, traditional, almost government style organization at the absolute forefront of utilization of technology and they're reaping the benefits um, in terms of the business success. So Glenn, I appreciate you've got a very busy day ahead. I thank you very much for taking the time. I had a great time, this and, has been uh, awesome. Uh, certainly from my own perspective, having done the KPI program, I'm a massive advocate. I regard it as the best professional development I've done in my career, and I've literally referred dozens and dozens of people you to have. the program. Uh, if uh, anybody is interested, we'll have some links in the show notes, or certainly uh, contact me and I'll very happily introduce you to Glenn and his team. But uh, for now, thanks again and have a great afternoon. And thanks, as always, for all of your support. Appreciate it. A pleasure. Thanks again for joining us on the Arate podcast, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Glenn. And as I no doubt made pretty evident through that discussion, I also completed the Key Person to Influence program personally in 2014, and I found it to be an incredible experience and probably the best professional development I've done in my career. So if I can assist you in getting some further information about KPI or introducing you to Glenn and his team, I'd be very happy to do so. Thanks, and I look forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. In the meantime, have a fantastic day.